Are you sure you're doing okay? You're all pretty quiet this morning. You know what I'm sick of? I'm sick of our media and that just making a catastrophe out of everything. Yeah? Even this whole cyclone thing. I'm not saying that it's not going to hit, but it's not meant to hit till later today, but it's got everybody living in fear about it. And I just hate this climate that we've created. Well, not we've created, but our media and everything have created where people just stressed out, full of anxiety, worried about their future, worried about everything. It's just nothing positive that comes out of the media's mouth, yes? Yes? Do you think the media is positive? I don't know what newspaper you're reading. They're not positive. But yet Christ promises us all sorts of things. He says in John 10, 10, that I've come that you may have life and life more abundantly. Now, I get it that some of us don't really experience that, and we're going to touch on that this morning as we get into the series. And today's message kind of is just laying a foundation for the next couple of months as we go through and we look at the things that Jesus practiced in his life and how if we apply them to our lives, then maybe we can have the kind of life that he talks about, which is the abundant life, more than we could ever ask of. How many people would love to have the kind of life that Jesus says that you can have? Not, not many hands. So some of you want to have a sucky life? Cool. Awesome. This is probably not the right place for you. Um, but it says here in Matthew 11, we're going to get straight into it this morning, Matthew 11 verse 28, Jesus says this, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is Jesus giving an invitation to all the tired, to all the weary, to all the burnt out, to all the worn down, to all the stressed out, to all the over busy people to find rest. Is there anybody out here today that feels a little worn down, a little weary, a little stressed out, I know that I can be like that and have been like that. I mean, is there anybody in here that isn't like that? Is probably the question we have to ask ourselves, yes? Like, when is life not a little bit like that? In fact, I would suggest to you that people virtually, virtually everyone lives with a low-level grade of fatigue, which rarely or ever goes away. If we're really honest with ourselves... I think that we would agree that we all live with a low-level grade of fatigue where we're constantly tired, where we constantly feel worn out um, at, at a low level, especially if we've got a brand-new baby, yes? We get an amen from, from Chris and Evie this morning. No, nothing wears you out more than sleep, sleeplessness, yes? Are you with me this morning? I love how the message puts, the paraphrase puts this, particular passage, it says in the message paraphrase, it says this, it says, are you tired? Anybody tired this morning? Worn out? Burnt out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you will recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. And I love this line, Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. 
I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live a free, freely and lightly. If you're, if you're anything like me, I think if we're really honest with ourselves, and I include me in this, I think if we're really honest with ourselves, our response is, I'm not really living that kind of a life. I'm not really experiencing the kind of life that Christ said that I could experience. I'm a follower of Jesus, I love Jesus, but I just can't relate to this life that's easy and not burdensome. That's not my reality. My reality is is that I'm tired, I'm worn out, and I'm kind of burned out on religion. And if that's you today, it's okay, because probably everybody around you feels the same way. You guys are really quiet. People all around you probably feel exactly the same way as you do. And I know that because that's how I felt for many years. Even while pastoring the church, I'd read the scripture and I'd go, man, that sounds great. That sounds amazing. That sounds fantastic. That his yoke is easy, his burden is light, that I can recover my life and things can be easy. But that's not my reality. That's not what I'm experiencing. But here's the good news for you all. If you're feeling the same way as what I used to feel, The good news for you all is that the answer to having a light and less burdensome, restful life, the key to it all is actually in that scripture. The way to unlock this and make it your reality is right there in the middle of what Jesus said when he says that my yoke is easy. Some of you would have been here a few weeks ago when I explained that Jesus is is talking about a yoke, and the people at the time, because of uh, farming, understood that oxen used to get yoked to each other. There was a young oxen and, a, and an older oxen, and the older oxen would do all the work, and the young one would get yoked to it to learn how to do the job. But what we don't see in this passage is that Jesus says that my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And Jesus was considered a rabbi or a teacher that nobody really knew him as the Son of God in that time that he is saying all of this. And he's saying that my yoke is easy. And what we, what we don't see in this because we don't come from the ancient times is that in the ancient world, in the early church, that um, they used to call the teachings of a rabbi the yoke of a rabbi. And so when Jesus is saying here that my yoke is easy and my burden is light, that, that if you follow my teachings, if you yoke yourself to my way of life, then you'll find that your life is easy and it's less burdensome. This is what, he, what he's saying here. In other words, it, it, let me put it this way. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. You know, I love that song that we sang this morning, I Will Make Room For You, but I also slightly have a problem with the theology around it, because here's the thing, we don't make room for God. God should be all-encompassing. He makes room for us to be part of his family. See, when we have the mindset of I make room, it's like we go over here and go, I can carve out a slice over here for you, Jesus. But in reality, if we're going to have the life of Jesus, then we have to adopt completely and fully the lifestyle of Jesus. 
Are you with me today? You see, I have a problem a little bit in that we talk about theology a lot, which is the, the a set of ideas of what Jesus taught us was the right, you know, the right things to believe. We talk about ethics a lot, um, you know, which is the, the do's and don'ts of doing this life. But, but the early church was called the way. They weren't called the church. They weren't called Christians. It was called the way. Oh, those are people of the, the way. In other words, this is that they live the same way as Jesus. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is the way. What I, how I live is the way to live. And so he's talking about the lifestyle of Jesus. And over the next wee while, that's what we want to talk about to you is the lifestyle of Jesus. What did Jesus do? How did Jesus do life? And you can turn around and go, oh, yeah, but he was the son of God. He was, but he was also fully man. Come on. I, I do have a problem a little bit because when he says yoke, I immediately think of a work instrument. You know, a yoke that they put on the bull to the younger bull, it's a, it's a work instrument. It's like it's not, a, it's not a holiday in the Bahamas. It's a work instrument. So it seems strange to me that Jesus is talking about if you're weary, if you're worn out, if you're burnt out, here's a work instrument to help you. I, I would think that if somebody was weary and burnt out and burdened, that the best thing I could do them is give them a bed to sleep in or a holiday overseas. How many people, how many people here that feel a little bit worn out that if, if I could give you a holiday overseas, you'll accept it? Cool, I got away with that cheap. Half of you didn't put your hands up. You would think that tired people don't need a work instrument. They don't need a yoke. They need a, a bed or they need a holiday. But Jesus realizes this, and this is where Jesus' ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. That Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give to a tired, worn-out person is a new way to carry their life. You see, if we're carrying our lives a particular way and we're worn out and we're burnt out and we're tired, then maybe there's a different way to carry our life. And Jesus is saying, if you are tired, if you are worn out, if you are burdened, the way that you're carrying life is not working for you. But if you would take on my yoke and walk your life and carry your life a different way, it would be freeing and light. I don't know anybody that doesn't want a life that is freeing and light because life is a series of weights, isn't it? You know, I remember when I was a teenager, like 15, 16 years of age, I couldn't wait to finish school and get a job and earn some money. But how many people know that being in school is the best time of your life because you have no responsibilities, no problems, no issues, you don't have to answer to a boss you don't have to turn up on time. You don't have to do all these other things. Like you step into a job and there's the weight of the career that comes on you. And then you're, and then you're in that career and then some girl comes along and she winks at you and you wink at her. And next minute you know you're getting married. And there's another weight of responsibility that comes upon your life. Yes, trying to keep that beautiful woman of yours happy. And when we move on and, and uh, 
and life is going well, and we've got this weight of our career, and we've got the weight of a, of a wife that we're now responsible for, and, and, and you know, we, now we're, we're renting and trying to save to buy a house, and then, we, and then maybe uh, in this environment, I'm not sure how, how great this is, but maybe saved up enough, and so then you get a mortgage, and it's another weight upon you, and then, and then you do have this ingenious idea that, hey, let's start a family and have kids, and it's just another weight of responsibility that comes upon you, and as you get older, the weight's of responsibility, the weight of life just continues to increase. Am I right? Yeah, it just continues to increase. And with age, the weight gets more. And each stage of the weight of responsibility increases and the load gets heavier. And the thing about all of this is you can't escape that. You can't escape that weight. You can't escape the burdens. And so Jesus, instead of offering us a way to escape the weight of life, He offers us new tools and new equipment so that we can carry the load lightly. You see, this is not a message about God wants to remove your burdens. He says, no, 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 my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's not saying that your burdens will be removed or the weight of life will be removed if you live this way. It's just that you'll be able to carry it in a really light way. Are you okay? Okay. Jesus is basically saying this, obedience to his teachings or obedience to his way of life will develop us in a balanced way to carry life that will give more rest than we currently have right now. He's saying, if you, if you do it my way, follow my lifestyle, follow my teachings, you might have the same weight, but it will be light and freeing. I don't know about you, but I would love a life that's light and free. And is anybody else like that out here? Because the yoke, and although we understand that this Jesus is talking about the yoke as in his teachings, he's also talking about farm equipment. Yes, he's always, always talking about a tools where, the, where, as I said earlier, where the oxen are yoked together and the older bull or the bull that's teaching the young one what to do, he's the one that carries the load. And so as you've heard me say here before, and I say it again, that Jesus is basically saying here, if you yoke yourself to me, I'll carry the load. If you walk with me at my pace of life and do what I do, yoke yourself to me, then I'll carry the heavy loads. If you match my pace, I'll carry the load. I'll do the heavy lifting. I think... The hardest way to live as a follower of Jesus is to just live life like everybody else does. I think the reason why we struggle in our walk with Jesus is because we live life like everybody else, including those that don't follow Jesus. Career, family, bills, kids, running around, doing this, doing that. And then somehow we we come into this church environment, we find Jesus, and then all of a sudden we feel like discipleship is just, uh, discipleship or following Jesus just becomes another weight. It's another thing that we add into our already crazy, busy, out of control life. And, and what we do is we try to add it into our lives wherever we can find space for it. If I can slice out a bit of time here for Jesus and slice out a bit of time here for Jesus, and we try to fit it in around everything else and amongst everything else. 
And it's like, man, I'm, I'm tired. I'm working 50, 60 hours a week. I'm already way over busy. And, and now, Craig, you're saying to me, or pastors have said to you, or you've heard people say to you, that now you've got to fit in Bible reading every day, pray every day, give, serve, get in community, be in a small group, and attend church services on a Sunday. It's like, man, I, I've got so much stuff going on. To add that on is just another weight. And here's the problem. It's because we add it on. Are you hearing me? It's because we live not necessarily the way that Jesus would live, but like everybody else lives, and then we add following Jesus on. But what Jesus says, hey, hey, my yoke is easy. In other words, if you would live my way and add everything else on, then the load would be easy to carry. When we adopt the lifestyle of Jesus, then the natural byproduct is the life of Jesus. The key is, is that we have to wear his yoke. We have to do what he says. We have to live the way that he lived. And for us to do what he says and to live the way that he lived, the big problem is, is that it requires us to slow down and to completely change the way that we live our lives. Because I've if I'm honest with you, I know the way that I live my life, and I know the way that Jesus lived his life, and it's not the same. It's not the same. I'll give you a really dumb, dumb example. I feel sick, I go straight to the doctor. Jesus feels sick, he just prays for people. We, 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 we have a, a problem in our lives and we try and work it all out, try and work out how we can fix it, and then when all else fails, we pray because he's our last resort. Jesus lives with God as his first resort. Come on. Are you hearing me? And so over the next wee while, as we go through this over the next wee while, over the next few weeks, I, I want, we want to show you the spiritual rhythms of Jesus' life, his natural life that he lived here on earth, is that he had particular things, rhythms, practices that he did. And, and I believe that if we adapt them as a lifestyle, not something that we add on to our lives, but we actually adapt them as a lifestyle, then things will change for us. And so we're going to look at things like fasting. I know. You're like, uh, fasting, uh. You know, if you go without a meal a day for a week, you won't die. I actually think fasting is really important because it denies you of something and it enables you to live life where life constantly denies you of things so you don't get upset. We're going to look at fasting. We're going to look at prayer. We're going to look at the Word of God. We're going to look at Sabbath. You want to hear a crazy thing? Sabbath is the only um, one of the practices of Jesus that's in the Ten Commandments. God literally had to command us to take a day of rest. What is wrong with us? I don't know about you, but that should be the easiest commandment. Yes? <laughs> don't murder someone. Oh, that's a bit difficult because I really don't like that person over there. Have a day of rest. Got that one. Yeah? Like, it should be the easiest. Yeah? But then God had to put it into the commandments. Why? Because we don't do it well. Solitude and silence and simplicity, generosity, community, hospitality. 
We're going to learn what all of these look like and how we can make the changes to our lifestyle and adapt the lifestyle of Jesus so that we can live the life of the easy yoke. I want all of us to be able to do that. I can't make you do that. I can't force you to do any of this, and neither can God. But I'm telling you, if we, can, if we can take these practices of Jesus, these spiritual rhythms of Jesus, and make them part of our lifestyle, uh, you will experience a life of the easy yoke. But before we can get into any of that, there's one thing that we need to deal with. The one thing that is the greatest threat to change in our lives. And the thing that is the greatest threat to change in our lives is hurry. Or busyness. That is the biggest threat to the things in our lives. In fact, I would, I would go on to say that if you asked me what is the, the biggest issue in your community or the biggest threat to, to the kingdom of God advancing in your community, I would have said, you know, demonic forces, uh, domestic violence, drugs, alcohol. You know, you, you come up with a bunch of things, but, but I'm telling you, as I've looked into this, the greatest threat is hurry. It's busyness. If there's one thing we know about Jesus from the Gospels is that he was never in a hurry. Here's the thing about Jesus. He was constantly in demand, wasn't he? He constantly would try to get away on his own and the crowd would follow him. He was constantly in demand, but he was never in a hurry. Jarius comes up to him and says, hey, my daughter's dying. Can you come to my house? Jesus is like, yep, no problem. I'm coming. And on the way, this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years comes down and touches the hem of his garment. And Jesus doesn't go, hey, hold on a second. I've got to get to Jarius' house. He stops. Who touched me? The disciples are like, are you mental? Everybody's touching you. Look at the crowds around you. If I was Jarius, I'd be like, Oi, keep moving. Got to get to my house. My daughter's dying. What are you doing? But Jesus would stop. He was never in a hurry. He'd stop in that moment, and he ministered to the woman in that moment, and then moved on to Jairus' house where he raised the daughter from the dead. We know that because we've read the Bible, but they didn't know that. Hey, Jesus, your friend Lazarus is dying. Cool. I'm just going to hang out here for a couple more days and I'll wait for him to die and then I'll go see him. Now, we know that he raises Lazarus from the dead, but they didn't know that's what he was doing. That's why Mary, comes, Mary and Martha come out and go, where were you? Why weren't you here? Jesus was never in a hurry. He was in demand. He was busy, but he was never in a hurry. Feeding the 5,000, that's a massive demand, yes? That's men plus women and children. Big day, teaching, feeding people, healing the sick. Says to the disciples, hey, you head off over, over the lake. I'll meet you there. I'm going up the hill to pray. You're going up the hill to pray? Mate, if I had a big day where I fed 5,000 people and preached all day and saw the, the sick healed, I'd be going home, one to either have a sleep or to wind down watching some sport. Jesus' way of winding down is to get into his presence and pray. That's what I mean about his practices. We think we're tired, let's have a rest. Jesus goes, I'm tired, I'm going to get in his presence. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He was busy and in demand, but he was never in a hurry. He was never stressed. 
He was peaceful and restful in the midst of the crazy. Dallas Willard, one of the great theologians of our time, said this, hurry is the greatest enemy of spiritual life in our world today. You see, I don't think any of us are bad. I think all of us want to have a relationship with Jesus. I think all of us want to have a great relationship with Jesus. Our biggest problem is not that we don't want to, it's just that we just go, I don't have the time because life is such a hurry. Are you with me? Corey Ten Boom, which saved the whole lot of Jews out of Germany at, at the time of the Second World War, said this. He said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. If the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Why? Because both sin and busyness have the same effect. It cuts you off from your connection to God, to other people, and even to your own soul. Busyness has the same effect as sin because you get so busy, you don't have time for God, you don't have time for others, and you actually don't have time to look after your own soul. Are you with me today? Come and talk to me. Psychologists that I saw said this to me, a guy called Aaron Ironside. He said to me this, he said, Craig, people are just too busy to live emotionally healthy and spiritually rich and vibrant lives. They're just too busy to take the time out to make sure that they're emotionally healthy, that they're spiritually vibrant. You see, the problem is not when you have a lot to do. The problem is is when you have too much to do, and the only way to get the too much to do done is to hurry. I don't know about you. One of my biggest beefs, I'm just going to get on a little, little soapbox right now. Why do people drive so fast through supermarket car parks? I don't understand it. One, there's little kids around that could pop out at any stage. And two, you just don't need to drive that fast at a flipping car park, you idiot. Slow down. When I used to, I'm sorry, I'm getting really sidetracked now. When I used to work for Deutz, I was a general manager for a company called Deutz, German diesel engine manufacturer. I was a general manager for New Zealand. I used to travel every second week somewhere in New Zealand, Australia, or Asia, right? And, and I would, when I first got the job, this is what I'd do. I had to drive from Wellington to Auckland to come home, and I'll be, I, I'm, not, I'm just being honest today and confessing my sins in Jesus' name. I'll be doing 120 kilometers an hour trying to get home as fast as I possibly could. I know, none of you speed, I know, it's just, it's just me. It's just me. Trying to get home as fast as I could. The problem is, is you get in front of all the slow traffic, you get to the desert road and there'll be a truck in front of you and all the windy bits and all the slow traffic that you passed half an hour ago is now up your backside. You didn't actually get home any faster by going 120 kilometres an hour. It took me 12 months to realise that and then I just stuck to the speed limit and then I don't have to worry when a cop goes past and I got home at the same time. Because you'll get stuck behind something. But the thing is, this hurry is like, get home, get home, get home, get home. We want to get from A to B as fast as we possibly can. And let's break the law while we're at it and risk getting a fine for speeding, which would just put more pressure on you. Sorry, it's just a little side thing. It's not that we have 
a lot to do. It's that we have too much to do, and the only way to get it all done is we'll just speed through it. Here's the problem. Jesus said this in Matthew 22. Jesus, when asked you know, what we should do, what is the greatest commandment, Jesus said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love God, love your neighbor. How many people know that love is painfully time-consuming? You can't just meet a girl and marry her next week. Well, you could meet a girl and marry her next week. I doubt there's any love that's developed. There might be lust that's developed, but I doubt love has developed. How many people know that love takes time? Don't leave me hanging. If you don't know that love takes time, that's maybe why you're single. <laughs> love takes time. Parents know this because at times you don't, you struggle to like your kids, let alone love your kids. Not, not in our family. My kids are perfect. Just maybe other, other Christians' families, not people in here. Love takes time. Married couples know that it takes time. Long friendships, people that you've been friends with, it takes time. You have to be intentional about maintaining the relationship, building the relationship. Love is painfully time-consuming. So therefore, hurry and love are completely incompatible. Yet the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? It means we've got to slow down because love takes time. You can't hurry love. In fact, the Bible says that love, joy, and peace are at the heart of the kingdom of God. Love, joy, and peace, and the greatest of these is love, it says. All three are more than just emotions. They are at the heart of all that Jesus is trying to grow in the soil of your life. And they are all incompatible with hurry. Anyone that's running around like a headless truck is not joyful, is not peaceful. Yes? Unfortunately, hurry has become our default setting. And now we assume that this crazy, busy life is just normal. Yeah? It's not our fault. It's, it's, a, it's a culture of the world that we live in. It's, just, it's become our default mode. The world has sped up to a frenetic speed, especially with the introduction of smartphones in 2007. I mean, we have had a whole heap of things come in to try and make our lives easier, right? Smartphones, dishwashers. Back in my day, when I was a child, I was a dishwasher. So my brothers and sister. Sisters were dishwashers. Now we have this machine that does it for us. Washing machines. Maybe there's some people here that remember having to wring your clothes out. No? No? <laughs> Toasters, get your toast faster, you know? Everything, everything that we have, appliances, all these different things to try and, and make us more productive so that we have more time. That we, and yet 
with all these time-saving devices that apparently that we have had over the last, you know, probably two decades um, that should give us more time, we now feel like we have less time. Can I just say the greatest thing ever created that saves time is an air fryer. Uh, you can, uh, we can fight about it afterwards. But we have less time, not more time. You know, I hear people say, if I could just have 10 more hours in a day, guess what? If you had 10 more hours in a day, you're still going to be in a hurry and you're still going to be busy. Why? Because you're just going to fill that time with all the other stuff. We've got all these devices that are meant to give us more time, but we've got less time. And so the question is, where did all that time we saved go? We just used that time up with other things. Like... Social media, which I read an article this week that young adults spend five hours a day on social media. I said this the other week in church. It equates to seven years of your life, over your lifetime. Good way to spend your time. There was a Senate subcommittee in the United States in 1967 where they're talking about all the automation of different things and people were worried that, that robots were going to take over and humans wouldn't have a job. And there's this Senate subcommittee where they said by the, they told the Senate that by 1965, or 1985, sorry, in America, the average American would only work 22 hours a week for 27 weeks of the year because of all the automation saving time. Their big concern to the subcommittee was that people would have too much leisure time <laughs> on their hands. How many people know that is not our reality? Does anybody only work 22 hours a week, 27 weeks of the year? Nope, not a person. You know why? Because what they found out is since 1983, the average person's leisure time has decreased 37% because we're so busy. Crazy, eh? John Ortberg put it this way. He said, for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We just skim our lives instead of actually living. Psychologists call it, as I said last week, that people are suffering from what they call hurry sickness. It's an actual diagnosis that people can have hurry sickness. I don't recommend ringing up your boss and saying, I'm not coming in today. Why? I've got hurry sickness. It's probably not going to work. <laughs> Maybe it could be legit, though. That would be pretty cool, eh? What is hurry sickness? Psychologists say it's this. It is characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness, where people feel chronically short of time, and so they tend to perform every task faster and they get flustered when encountering any kind of delay. Oh, did that ring true for us? How do we know if we have hurry sickness? Here's three simple signs that psychologists say that if you do these things, you have hurry sickness. The first one is this, moving from one checkout line to another because it looks shorter and faster. Counting the cars in front of you at traffic lights and getting into the lane that has the least amount of cars. Multitasking to the point that you forget one of the tasks. Based on that, I would say we all suffer hurry sickness. Yes? Ten signs. You're moving through life 
too fast. Number one, irritability. You just, you're on the edge all the time and you lose your temper really, really easily. Number two, hypersensitivity. Minor things quickly escalate to major emotional events. Like what should just be a nothing thing becomes a major thing. Restlessness. You try to slow down, but you can't relax. It's like you've got ants in your pants. One of the worst things that's hit the generation that's coming through is FOMO, fear of missing out. Don't fear of missing out. Just miss out. You don't have to be doing something every single day of your life all the time. Relax. Take time out. Trust me, when you're a parent, you want those quiet moments where you do nothing. It's the beauty of being a guy. We can sit there and literally think about nothing. While women sit there and their brains go, get a million miles. We can actually literally think about nothing. Hey, guys, it's awesome. Workaholism. And I'm not just talking about in your work, but you just, you're just non-stop activity. You can't, you can't stop. You always have to be doing something. Emotional numbness. You don't have the emotional capacity to feel empathy for anybody. You hear sad things and you're just like, uh. Out of order priorities. Your life is just completely reactive rather than proactive. You're just reacting because you've you got no, no plans and so everything's just a reaction to everything that's going on. Lack of care of your body, sleep, exercise, food. How many people know that's one of my signs? Number eight, escapist behaviors. Netflix binging is not replenishing you. That's called escapism. Don't get me wrong. I'm all for a bag of potato chips and a good binge on Netflix. I love it, but it doesn't refresh me. It's just escaping my stress. Are you with me? Actually, let me put it this way. What's your preferred cultural narcotic that you use to escape all the busyness? Because it is. Yes? Maybe it's that you read stupid books, like not quality books, but anyway. <laughs> Trinity has, a, has escapist behavior to her books. Don't go, aw. I just admitted mine. Number nine, slippage of spiritual disciplines. The things that truly are life-giving to your soul are the first things to go rather than the first things you go to. Let's be honest. When we are under pressure, when we're under stress, the first thing that goes is our quiet time, isn't it? Let's, like, I'll be honest. It's the first thing that goes for me. When I'm under a huge amount of pressure, I've experienced this through uh, with the whole subdivision area. When I was under a huge amount of pressure, the first thing that went was my quiet time in the morning because I just, I just, it just felt overwhelming to stop. I had all the stuff I had to get done. And yet, that's the place I should have gone to, not the place I should have gone from. Are you with me? And number 10, isolation. People isolate themselves. They just, it's all too much, and so they separate themselves. I don't know about you, but when I went through that list, I went, wow, that just described my life. 
I reckon I'm seven for 10 out of those. Anybody with me? Wives are like, you're 10 for 10 um, out of those. That was a joke, by the way. Just calm down. Or else you might have seen that list and go, oh, is that not normal? (laughs) No, it's not normal. We have a problem, and the problem is we have a lack of time. And the answer is, as I said earlier, is not more time. The solution is that we need to slow down and simplify our lives around the spiritual rhythms of Jesus, around the easy yoke. You see, we tend to always, and we we do this in church as well, we always talk about the potential of people's lives. You have great potential to do great things and things of significance. The problem is we never talk about your limitations. And so you got in your head, I've got all this potential and I need to accomplish all these great things. But the reality is, is you have limitations. For starters, one limitation you have is you only have 24 hours in a day. You can only do what you can do in a day. Nothing more, nothing less. That's it. It's a limitation. The Bible says this, that we're created in the image of God, but out of the dust of the ground. So we're created in the image of God, the potential to do great things, but out of the dust of the ground because there's limitations on what we can do because we're human, we're not God. And I've seen in ministry people get completely burnt out because they're so focused on their potential and that they forget that they have limitations. And when you forget that you have limitations, what happens is you'll end up doing a whole lot of stuff to try and make things happen. The things won't happen. And then what happens is you get into uh, unmet expectations and disillusionment with your life. And it'll lead to you doing more and hurrying more, trying to make it happen. And then ultimately you shift yourself into a works-based lifestyle because it's all about what you do, not who you are. Over this series, we're going to learn how to unhurry our lives and live a lifestyle with an easy yoke. And it will require us to slow down our lives. But it is possible, and it is worth it, but it requires energy. And that's the crazy thing, is that it requires energy to slow down. It requires intentionality. Let me, let me just give you some really practical things. We're nearly done. Really practical things that I'm trying to do to slow down my life. Are you with me? First one is drive to the speed limit. I'm trying to drive to the speed limit. When I was in a hurry to get to the airport the other day, it was really, really hard to drive to the speed limit. Come to full stop at stop signs. Come on, I'm going to get amen for that. Here's a cool one. Get in the slow lane. You'll know where you're at when you can just cruise in the slow lane. You know, we, we were out yesterday, Trinity and I, and, and when we were coming back and we, we got on the motorway there at, at Bombay, and, um, and you can get stuck behind trucks there at Bombay because they come up on the slow lane and you can't always get across to the fast lane. And here I am in the slow lane behind the slow car and my head's going, pass him, pass him, pass him. And I'm having to intentionally say to myself, you know what, we're not in a hurry. We don't have to be home by a certain time. I'm just going to cruise behind the truck. And my body and my mind is going, no, we can't do this. This will, it, it will cost us an extra two minutes to get home. 
If I get home two minutes earlier, that's an extra two minutes I can sit on the couch and look at my iPad. I had to literally in my head say, no, I am not passing because I'm trying to slow down my life. I've started going into long checkout, not all the time, because sometimes you do have a time limit to get somewhere, yes? I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking about when you've got to be somewhere by a certain time. I'm talking about when you don't have to be somewhere by a certain time. Then just go into the longest checkout line at the supermarket and, and don't look at your phone. Just stand there in silence. Look around. Have a conversation with someone. Just, you know, it's good. Get in the slow lane. And my other one is, I start, I'm going to start showing up 10 minutes early to appointment and leave my phone in the car and just sit there for 10 minutes waiting for the person to say, I can see you now. I know, it's scary. You'll be alone with your own thoughts. <laughs> Walk slower. Walk slower. I was in Gisborne this week um, helping a church down there, and Pastor Mark Tobias from Wellington was there. Pastor Mark is like my personal pastor. Yeah, I don't go to him for things about to do with the church. I go to him for things to do with me. And, and we had some time on, th- on Thursday morning before our first meeting, and he said to me, let's go for a walk. And I'm like, cool, let's go for a walk. So we get out of the house, and, and, and I'm walking. And he's walking. And I'm like... Come on, bro. Like... And in my head, I was literally, come on, we need to go faster. We've got places to go. We don't have anywhere to go. We're just going on a walk. We had two hours to kill before our first meeting. There was no rush to go anywhere. And, then, and so then I slowed down to his pace, which was irritating me a little bit. I'm not going to lie to you. And then we were talking about the things of God. And he would do stuff like this. He'd stop and he'd go, and look at me. Stop walking. Look at me and go, hey, Craig. You know, and I'm like, why have you stopped walking? We can walk and talk. Let's keep moving. And he's walking along at this speed. And then he's every now and then he's like, you know, and I just, and I just realized, what is my problem? We're not on a hurry to anywhere. And I just slowed down. And we had this incredible conversation that helped me deeply. Get into the longest checkout line. Here's one, single tasking. For those of you that are of a younger generation, it's a thing we used to do in the 90s. We would only do one thing at a time. Do you know it's been proven that multitasking actually doesn't work? Did you know that? Scientists have proved that multitasking, actually all it does is it makes you do multiple things badly rather than one thing well. In fact, scientists have also proved that if you work more than 50 hours a week, the re- anything after 50 hours is not productive. It's a waste of time. Don't text while you're checking your emails. Just do one thing at a time. I have a particular person in my family who can watch TV and scroll through social media at the same time. Just pick one. Just pick one. Read a book. (laughs) I'm going way too long this morning. I'm trying to get it finished. Honestly, I am. Um, But you've got to find what works for you and slow your life down. Ancient scholars called following Jesus lifestyle, they called it the rule of life. 
problem with us is when we hear the word rule, we think rules, like can and can't do. The word rule from the Greek is the, word, is the same word that we use for trellis. And so what they're saying is this, is that Jesus' teaching of abiding in the vine, think about a vineyard with the trellis and the vine grows up around the trellis. The rule of life or following the spiritual rhythms of Jesus is a trellis. It's a structure. It's a way that you can structure your life around abiding in him so that you can bear the fruit of love, joy, peace, kindness, long-suffering, and self-control. It's a structure that your life can be wrapped around. And I know that it's easy for me to say this than to do because you've got work and you might have a wife and family and time is limited, but you have to make a decision about the kind of life that you want to live and the kind of person that you want to be. We all have to decide when we wake up each day, will we continue at the breakneck speed that we're going through life or are we going to try and work in a way that Jesus would along the way? When we have some spare time here or there, are we going to cram Jesus in or are we radically going to alter the pace of our lives, slow it down and reorientate our whole life around the easy yoke of discipleship to Jesus? Maddie, can you come? I can't make that decision for you. Only you can. Only you can make the decision to reorientate your entire life around the spiritual rhythms of Jesus. But before I pray for you, I just want to explain something to you really quickly. The Greek word for disciple is a noun, not a verb. How many people know what a verb is? A verb is a what? It's an action word. Yeah, it's a doing word. What is a noun? It's a naming word or it's an identity. The word disciple is used 268 times in the New Testament and every single time it's used as a noun, not a verb, a noun. The thing I find in church is that we tend to use discipleship as a verb. For example, I just had this question this week when I was in Gisborne. Hey, Craig, who are you discipling? Or who's discipling you? And I'm a little bit naughty because I said, no one is discipling me and I'm not discipling anybody because you can't disciple anybody because it's a noun, not a verb. You either are a disciple or you're not a disciple. I mean, it's like saying, who are you Christianing? You don't Christianing anybody. You either are a Christian or you aren't a Christian. Who are you believering? Well, not believering anybody. Either you believe in Jesus or you don't believe in Jesus. Believer is a noun, it's a naming word, it's giving identity. Christian is a noun, it's a naming word, it gives you an identity. Disciple is a noun, it's a naming word, it gives you identity. Who are you following? I'm not following anybody. 
but I follow, you either follow Jesus or you're not following Jesus. If you think disciple is a verb, as in something that gets done to you, the problem is it puts the onus of responsibility on someone else to get you transformed into the likeness of Christ because you want someone to be discipling me. It puts the onus on the pastor or it puts the onus on the parent or it puts the onus on your mental that if my life isn't transformed, if I don't become Christ-likeness, it's your fault because you should be discipling me. But the Bible never talks about that. The Bible doesn't talk about discipling. It says go and make disciples. In other words, go and, and lead people to Christ that they become, they choose, they identify themselves they become disciples and they follow and they believe. I can't make you a disciple. It's not my job. It is my job to do some things. I have a responsibility for you and and I have a responsibility to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to create an environment and a pathway that as you choose to be a disciple, you can go from strength to strength and glory to glory and be transformed in the likeness of Christ. That's our job to create an environment for you to be able to do that. But I can't disciple you. You have to choose to be a disciple. You have to say, I identify as a disciple and therefore I'm going to live like a disciple. And Christ is not going to be an add-on, but He's going to be my lifestyle because I'm going to yoke myself to His teachings and I'm going to live as Jesus lived because I'm a disciple and that's what disciples do and I say that because over the years I've had people go church doesn't care no one's discipled me it's because it's not our job to disciple you if I could make you be a disciple I would And if you could make me be what you want me to be, you'd do that too. But it's your choice. Discipleship or following Jesus or the spiritual rhythms or living the lifestyle of Jesus, it's not something that is done to you. It's something that you choose to be. And this year, 2023, I believe that you can turn around and go, you know what? I want to yoke myself to living freely and lightly. I'm actually going to change my lifestyle to the same as Jesus. Doesn't mean that you're not going to be busy. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have demands. It just means that you're going to be able to live not in craziness, but live in peace and restfulness because your lifestyle is the spiritual rhythms of Jesus, not the rhythms of the culture of our world. Does that sound good? Sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. Why don't you close your eyes just for a moment? And I want to ask you this morning, and I'm not going to ask you to put hands up because this is your personal decision. So don't put hands up. 
I'm just asking you a question. 2023, February 12th, you've got a choice to be a disciple or not to be a disciple. I want to ask you, what do you want to be? What do you want to be? Father, I pray for every single person in this building. I pray for every single person that's hearing my voice, that's online. Father, that we would stop looking to be discipled and choose to be a disciple. That we would start to look at our lives and start to do even the little things like sticking to a speed limit or stopping at a stop sign or things that just slows down our lives so that we can start to hear your voice. Father, I thank you that as we stop and maybe spend 10 minutes of just sitting there in silence that we'll be able to hear your voice. That we'll be able to hear you speaking to us saying, hey, this is the way, walk this way, walk that way. Help us to slow down our lives so that we can walk in the spiritual rhythms of Jesus, so that we can be apprentices of Jesus' way of life, that it is light and it's freeing, not burdensome and weary. God, I pray that you would help us. Help us over these next few weeks to be open to what you're going to tell us and to be able to make some adjustments in our lives where we actually live the life of Christ and experience the life of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.